Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you today. Can't really quite see you because you're in the dark, but you'll be in the light soon. Look, see, there it is. Good to see you. Oh, that's inspiring to hear music like that and to be able to worship God together like that. That's awesome. Yeah, you want to praise God for that? Sweet. Hey, do we have any school teachers here? Elementary, middle school, high school, college, whatever. Yeah, any couple? Don't be shy. We're proud of you. Uh, School teachers, if you're not too tired, I know you're a little bit into the journey already for the semester, but if you're not too tired, would you mind standing up so we could see you? Can we get the house lights just a tad higher, you guys? I can't quite see. Uh, good. Oh, how about any school administrators? Good. Awesome. How about anybody else who works in the school district, like yard duty or kitchen patrol or, you know, custodians, whatever, all, counseling? Awesome. All right. Uh, you stay standing if you would. I just want to honor you and pray for you for a moment. There's a group of people around the country uh, known as uh, Moms in Prayer. It used to be known as Moms in Touch. And uh, they've asked churches around the country today if we would just pray for our teachers. I know here in California, we're a long way into our school year, but we just appreciate what you do as teachers, you uh, and as leaders and workers in schools. Whatever your role is, you're helping children move forward, and that's a beautiful gift that you give. So thank you for that. So let's pray for these people together, okay? Father in heaven, thanks so much for these who are standing before you here, before us. Uh, for all their various roles, they have dedicated their life, their career, to blessing children and to leading children, to pouring good things into children. So, Lord, thank you for them. Uh, I know some of them who are standing, and I know their heart and how it beats for those children. And so I'm so grateful for them. And Lord, I ask as this school year begins to unfold and progresses, would you keep your hand of grace on these people so that they can pass that along to others? And Jesus, you be honored, please, through these people that are standing before you today. Thank you. Amen. All right. Hey, thanks, you guys. God bless you. All right. So speaking of students, I want you to see a little video that our student ministry kids have put together about a thing called Revamp. The Revamp Art and Music Conference is to inspire creativity, develop skills, and raise up young talent. There it was, fast, kind of a fast video, but there it was, but there it was right? So uh, this is Kevin Kent. Kevin is our, he's a teacher. Uh, he is not a school teacher. He's the leader of our middle school ministry here at Lakeside Church. So nice hand for Kevin for what he's doing. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So Kevin, tell us, what's this revamp thing? Yeah, revamp. Uh, you saw the, the video really quick, but if you blinked, I'll, I'll tell you what it was about. Um, it's our art and music conference for students, middle school through high school. Um, we just really believe that, that we have a lot of talented and gifted kids. Some of them don't know it yet. And, uh, and so we are doing this, this conference. We've done it for a while. This year we're doing a lot of new things. We've got tons of adults um, professionals, artists, musicians willing to spend a Friday night with these students and, and just kind of invite them in and hopefully empower them and, and grow our worship culture here and grow up young worshipers um, because we believe they really have something to offer and when you give them a chance, they'll surprise you most often. Yeah, very cool. Give us, you have any good stories of uh, some kids who have come up through Revamp? We've been doing Revamp for several years, so... Yeah, yeah. One, uh, one of my favorite stories, a friend of mine, Mason Moore, he's a senior in high school, and um, he posted this summer on Facebook um, a, a picture from back in the tech booth, 
And he talked about his journey a little bit. So I, I, I pulled him aside. I'm like, hey, I saw that. That was so awesome. He said, I started in middle school in the tech booth, and, and people kind of worked with me there. And then I came over here, and, and they let me come in, and I was just changing batteries. And now I'm the video producer at Lakeside. And it was so cool just to see that journey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you can clap yeah, you for that. Clap you for can that. absolutely like, yeah, clap for that. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's, just, it's just great that we create space for that, that we allow students to come into that, but we also have people, have adults here at Lakeside that are saying, I will give the time. You know, most, most often students aren't welcome a lot of places, um, but, but here we welcome them in and, and look what we can do with, with students like that and as we develop their talents and skills. It's, yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's beautiful. So Revamp's coming up when? What's the story of how to get involved? Yes, yeah, so it is October 2nd, so it's coming up really fast. It's a Friday night. And uh, we've got a whole night packed full of stuff. There's a lot of information um, about it, so we put it all online for you. You can go on lakesidechurch.com and click on the revamp banner. Um, or you can talk to myself or, or one of the people out in the lobby after, after the gathering today. And um, we got shirts on like this. We'd love to tell you about what we really are offering. We try to have something for every interest, but we would love to get your student involved. Or if you know a student who should be part of it, they don't have to be a Lakesider. Um, we'd love to have them come in and, and be part of this. It'd be awesome. Yeah, sweet. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, appreciate thank it. Thank you. Nice job. All right. So we're talking about schools and kids and uh, things. Maybe you remember this poem that your parents taught you probably taught you when you were a child. Remember this one? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Does anyone remember that? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, good. Okay, I'm, I'm, I, I didn't set it up right or something because you didn't respond to me. Huh. No, so you remember that. So do you also know, are you also aware of the fact that your parents, when they taught you that poem, they lied to you? Oh, Oh, yeah, okay, good. Now you're set up. Now we're going to have some responsive time. Yeah, they lied to you because they know, yeah, a stick could break your arm. That would be a painful thing, but your arm's going to heal. But something that's a word that goes down inside your soul and it begins to fester and take root and it begins to define who you are, that really hurts. And so our parents trying to help us out because they can't be there with us every day of school and our teacher's not with us every moment at school and something happens and kids call us a name and it hurts and they're just, they're just trying to protect us, right? And you probably taught your children the same poem. You probably lied to them too. I don't know. When I was a child, we had, a little, we had another way to deal with this. That was one of the ways we dealt with that. We had sort of a little sassy comeback that we would use when people would call us names, you know? You know what it was? I, I know you are, but what am I? And had to come with facial expressions, I'm sure. So I know, I know you are, but what am I? So someone would say, you're stupid. I know you are, but what am I? And that would solve the whole thing. Except for they'd come back with something else. You're ugly. I know you are, but what am I? They'd go, you're short. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my, that's my fast comeback for that. It's like, Whatever. I know you are, but what am I? And it's like, oh, man, it didn't help a lot. But that was our childish way to try and neutralize pain. Whenever a name gets called to you as a child, it creates pain. It creates a hurt inside there that we sometimes carry with us. And the interesting thing is most of us here in the room are adults now, and it doesn't seem like anybody's calling us names. And yet there is still one person at least who is calling us names. He is the enemy of our soul. 
The Bible calls him the accuser of the brothers, the accuser of the brothers and sisters, the accuser of the family of God. He's the one who has access to God's throne and he stands before him and accuses us. And every time he casts a name in our direction, if we stumble over that kind of an area, and he usually picks areas in which we are weak already, and when we stumble over that kind of area, we typically take on the name that he's given to us. We take on the identity that the accuser has given to us. And so he calls us all kinds of names, liar, loser, poser, wannabe, hypocrite, sinner. And every time one of those lands on us, we go, oh, well, that's kind of true of me. Then it just sinks in. It sort of becomes our identity. And every time the shamer shames us, that shame tends to become part of our identity. And we, we pack it on and we carry it with us and it shapes who we are. It's our identity or it becomes our identity too often. We're going to start a series today. It's going to run for four weekends, and it's called, I Know You Are, But Who Am I? Who am I? And who gets to say who I am? It's about identity. And there's something powerful about a person who knows their identity. Example of what I've been talking about. He's been given everything but discipline. And now his idea of courage and manhood is to get together with a bunch of punk friends and ride around irritating folks too good natured to put a stop to it. <laughs> hey, who do you think you are, huh? Just dumb kid, huh? Don't kill him. Hug McCann. I fought in two world wars and countless smaller ones on three continents. I led thousands of men into battle with everything from horses and swords to artillery and tanks. I've seen the headwaters of the Nile and tribes of natives no white man had ever seen before. I've won and lost a dozen fortunes, killed many men, and loved only one woman with a passion a flea like you could never begin to understand. That's who I am. Now go home, boy. Get out your knife. Yeah. Now, boys, you're fixing to let those teenage hormones get you into world of trouble. <laughs> it's a powerful thing to know who you are and to have a shotgun. Secondhand Lions. Oh, you want to know? You want to go watch the movie? Oh, oh yeah, of course you do, because that was cool. <laughs> it's a powerful thing to know who you are. It's a powerful thing to know your identity. But we live in a world of identity confusion. We live in a world where there are a lot of people telling us a lot of things about who we are or who we should be or who we could be or all these things. And it's created a lot of confusion in our world. For us, for our children... 
Back in June, this article came out in the Seattle Times. Dateline Spokane. Controversy is swirling around one of the inland northwest's most prominent civil rights activists with family members of Rachel Dolezal saying the local leader of the NAACP has been falsely portraying herself as black for years. Dolezal, 37, avoided answering questions directly about her race and ethnicity, which she described as a multi-layered issue. That question is not as easy as it seems, she said. There's a lot of complexities, and I don't know that everyone would understand that. In recent days, questions have arisen about her background. Members of her family are challenging her very identity, saying she's misrepresented major portions of her life. We live in a generation of identity confusion. The next day, another article came out. It said, on Friday night, Ms. Dolezal tweeted, I'm very happy to see more people joining us. And then she added, hashtag transracial lives matter. Hashtag wrong skin. She also tweeted a picture of herself next to a picture of Caitlyn Jenner with the caption, who are you to decide what is right for me? And of course, that story all of you are familiar with. Back in April, Bruce Jenner, who was once known as the greatest athlete in the world, who's the father of half the clan known as the Kardashians, announced to Diane Sawyer and the rest of the world that he was a transgender woman. And then he promptly promptly launched his own reality TV show. And I'm not saying that to, to poke fun or to make us giggle about that. I'm not saying those things to condemn. Just reminding you of those stories to remind us to suggest the idea that we live in a time of identity confusion. And it's not just people that are on television. It's not just people that make the news. All around us is identity confusion. The Bible told us it would happen. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul makes this statement. He said, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's a description of identity confusion. Our foolish hearts were darkened. We we thought we were so wise. We thought we had it so dialed in. We thought we were enlightened. But the scripture says our foolish hearts were darkened. We became futile in our thinking about who we are. Children grow up into a process of trying to figure out who they are. Adolescence Technically, by definition, adolescence is the process of becoming an adult, adolescent, someone who's becoming an adult. And so the time of adolescence is a time of trying to figure out who we are. And we have middle schoolers and high schoolers are going through adolescence and they're trying to figure out who they are. And I remember when I was an adolescent, I rode the bus to and from school from sixth grade through ninth grade. And uh, I, I don't remember everything that happened from the, on the walk to the bus stop or from the bus stop. In fact, I don't remember anything that happened on the walk to the bus stop. I had to walk about a quarter of a mile every day to the bus in the snow uphill both directions. <laughs> oh, wait, no, that's a different story. No, I grew up in the desert. Ain't no snow. 
I had walked a quarter mile, that part was through, to the bus stop, and I don't remember anything that ever happened in the morning on the way, because I was sound asleep walking to the bus, I'm sure. But in the afternoon, most of the time I'd walk back to my house from the bus stop with my next door neighbor, Mike, and we'd be talking about what was going on that day and what we're going to do after homework's done and those kinds of things. But every now and then, Mike wasn't there, or we got separated on the journey home or something, and I would have five minutes of solitude. And I don't know how many times in the course of my middle school and freshman years, I used those five minutes of solitude to think about who am I going to be? I don't know why that was the journey. I don't remember thinking about that any other time in my life, just on the walk home from the bus stop. But I would wonder, what kind of person am I going to be? I'm trying to figure out what kind of person I am. What kind of man am I going to be? Am I going to be, am I going to be cool? Or am I going to be like goofy? I never did figure that out. Uh, am, I going to be, am I going to be tough? Which probably wasn't going to get me very far. Or am I going to be kind? And I remember one of, the, one of the highlight questions that I would ask myself on the way home on those, on those walks from the bus stop was, am I going to be good? You know, my parents want me to be good. My teachers want me to be good. And I remember wondering in my mind, am I going to be the kind of person who's good? I didn't even have a lot of room for God in my equation. I didn't have a lot of room for God in my thought process of what, who I was going to be or what I was going to be like. God was in my life. I had faith in Christ. I just didn't know what to do with it yet. But I wanted to know if I was going to be good. Because adolescence is a time of questioning, who am I going to be? Interestingly to me, Christianity is a similar journey to adolescence. The journey of the Christian life is a process of growing up to become mature in Christ. And as you're growing up to become mature in Christ, you're trying to figure out Who am I going to be like? What am I going to be? Am I going to be like Christ? And so we're asking questions of identity all the time as we're growing up in our spiritual journey with Jesus. One of the things we learn to ask is, who has the authority to tell me who I will be? You give certain people, every one of us gives certain people authority to tell us who we will be. That kid who called you names in second grade, if you listened to him, you gave him or her authority into your life to tell you who you will be. When Satan comes along and he tells you things like loser, liar, hypocrite, and you buy into that, you're giving him authority to tell you who you can be. And as a Christ follower, one of the privileges we have is we get to decide to whom we will give authority to tell us who we will be. And at some point, you have to come to the place where you know who you are. Because if you don't know who you are, you, don't, you won't know how to live. You find people who live well, it's because they know who they are. And following Christ gives us an open door to figure out who we are. See, our, our identity is our foundation in our life. It's why Satan attacks it so strongly. And it's why God speaks to it so clearly. So let's see what God says about it. If you have your Bible, why don't you open up to uh, Genesis chapter 1. Let's look at the very beginning of the story. Genesis chapter 1. Let's see what God says about it. Genesis 
Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Right at the climax of the time of creation, it says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God made mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Here's the climax of creation. And I don't know, there's a lot of different opinions about how creation rolled out. And some Christians believe in six literal days of creation. And some Christians believe in a long journey of creation. And I believe that Genesis 1 is a song. It's not really a scientific textbook. But here's how it rolls out. At the end of creation, however that happened, here's how this rolled out. God had had a pattern all the way through creation. He created all these living things and everything that had life. He created it according to a model. So when he created the plants, he said, I'm creating the plants according to their kind. And when he created the fish, it was according to their kind. And the birds, according to their kind. And the animals on the ground, according to their kind. Everything that lived, God created according to this pattern, according to their kind. But when he got to the climax of creation and he got to human beings, he changed the model. And now he's not saying according to their kind. He's saying in my image. Every human being who has ever existed on this planet was created in the image of God. Friends, that's the foundation of your identity. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, that's the foundation of your identity. If you follow a different religion or not, that's the foundation of your identity. You have been created in the image of God. Images are interesting. An image is a likeness. An image is a representation. We've got mirrors all around the auditorium. And uh, you can stop at one of those mirrors if you want. You can, you can straighten your hair or... Do this to your hair if you want, you know, however that goes for you. You can look in the mirror and smile and see if you got broccoli left over from last night in your teeth. You can see that right there. And when you look in the mirror, you, you assume that you see you. But you're not seeing you. You're seeing a reflection of you. You're seeing an image of you. What's remarkable about a really good mirror is that image is an unmistakable image of you. You never look in the mirror and go, well, who, who, who's that person? You know, I, I don't recognize that. Well, sometimes we get older, we go, oh, who's that old dude? You know, I, I understand that part. But even that old dude still looks like you. It's an accurate, it's an unmistakable image or resemblance of you. That's what an image is. We were created in the image of God. We were created with an unmistakable resemblance to God. I got a picture of this this last summer. My, my son came home for the summer. My son is a uh, 29-year-old uh, junior in college. He got, went through the Navy and got out and took a while and kind of then went back to college. And so this last summer, he came home. He didn't have a job, you know, where he was up in Humboldt. So he got a job here locally. And, and he said, hey, I, I, I'm just going to come stay with you guys, which he promised he would never do. 
or he swore he would never do, depending on how you look at that. And so he came back to stay with us for the summer. It was fantastic. We had this wonderful time. And one day we're out on the American River on a trail above the American River near our house. And we're walking up on this road and we're going up toward the prison. There, there's a gate up there, just a little flimsy, you know, chain link fence gate that you're not supposed to go through. So it's like, okay, well, let's turn around. We turned around and there's the American River. The sun's going down. There's the American River out in front of us. And I'm like, I did whatever he person would do. I pulled my phone out, took a picture. It's beautiful. And then I thought, I have my son, my only son with me. I'm going to take a selfie with my son. Now, old Bryce would have said no, but new Bryce said, okay, dad, let's take a picture. So sure enough, we lined it up, got a picture of us and got the river in the background. Then I did what you're supposed to do with selfies. I posted it. Yeah. Now, Facebook does this really interesting thing. They have this algorithm or something that I don't understand that recognizes faces. And uh, my son doesn't have a Facebook account. And so it, Facebook asked me when I put the picture up there, it goes, you, you, want, me to, you want me to tag this, you know, with, with names? And I didn't, I didn't click yes or anything like that. But then when, the, when I got done with the whole thing, Facebook tagged the picture for me. And it chose to call my son Brad Franklin. So now my son looks more like me than I do. <laughs> that is an unmistakable resemblance. You know, you, you go, no, 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 Facebook made a mistake. Well, they made a mistake in his identity, but they didn't make a mistake in his resemblance. He looks like me. And when you are created in the image of God, you look like him. Yeah, right? It's awesome. You look like him. And he calls you by his name. And as a Christ follower, you have the authority to decide who gets to tell you who you are. The Bible says we are created with an unmistakable resemblance to God. We are created to be like our Father, not physically, God is spirit. He doesn't have a body. Jesus took a body when he came to earth. But, but God the Father has no body. He's a spirit. You don't look like him physically. But you have the capacity to look like him in so many other ways. When God created you in his image, he gave you a capacity to think. I mean, creation is all about thinking. When it came to the, to the sixth day of creation and God said, let us make humanity in our own image. That let us statement, that's a thought statement. Let's do this. That's a statement of thought. When God created you in his image, he created you with the capacity to think. He created you with the capacity to plan. He created you in his image so that you would have the capacity to care and to show compassion and to love. Because those are all things that are true of God. And because you are created in his image, you resemble him. And at the end of it all, God said, look, that's very good. Every human being is a carrier of God's image. I think that's where inspiration comes from. 
You ever been inspired by anything? Anybody ever been inspired? About 20%. I find life inspiring. And sometimes I, 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 in my life I'm like, well, I don't really know what to do with like, just inspirational stories. What, what's that about when something just inspires you? And there are, there are, what, what, let's do a little interactive. What inspires you? What kinds of things inspire you? Giving. Yeah, generosity inspires you. When somebody else gives, that inspires us. I saw an article in the paper this morning. So anyone who came to Saturday night missed this story. But it was in the paper this morning. You know the fire over in, the, in Lake County. I, I, it's, uh, pardon me? The Valley Fire. It's called the Valley Fire, right? There's a story. This, wo- this uh, woman and her daughter walked into a bridal gown store this week, and the owner of the store could tell that the mother and the daughter and the, and the future mother-in-law was there as well, that the three women were rather in shock and in distress. But here they're looking for wedding gowns. And so the owner of the store began to kind of eavesdrop on what was going on. She discovered that the mother of the bride had lost her home in the fire. And not only that, the bride had lost her home in the fire. Both these women lost their home in the fire. They were going to cancel the the trip to the bridal store, and the future groom said, you are not canceling that trip. You need to be there because our wedding is going to go on even though you've suffered this great loss. We've suffered this great loss. And the owner of the bridal store began to recognize that, and she came up to the mother of the bride, and she said, I just want you to know. I just want you to know The bridal gown is on us. That just drop dead inspires me. I don't know if that lady's a Christ follower at all. She's not even responding as what a Christ follower is. She's just responding because the image of God is unmistakably in her. And it inspires us when someone is generous. It inspires us when someone sacrifices for the sake of others. Why? Because for a moment, you see God breathing into a life on top of the image that he created in somebody. And every human being Every human being carries within them the unmistakable image of God. I'm running these days. I stopped running about 10 or 12 years ago because my hips hurt and my knees hurt and everything hurt and I didn't like it. And uh, last year, World Vision came along to Lakeside, and they said, hey, we want, you know, you guys do a lot with World Vision, and we want you to run this half marathon over around Lake Natoma. And somebody got a hold of me and said, you know, it'd be good if the pastor would do this while everyone else is doing it, you know, show some leadership. All right, and I, you know, the Lord had done some things and kind of, kind of made it interesting, so I did. I did that last year, and it all worked out fine. Well, then I got a call. I told you guys this a while ago. Some of you didn't hear the story, but I got a call from World Vision recently, and they said, uh, back in the spring, they said, hey, uh, we'd like you to run the New York City Marathon. That's what I did. 
<laughs> yeah, this is not happening. <laughs> and then I got thinking about it. I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. Then I had friends who started to say, you know, you've you got to qualify for the New York City Marathon. And I couldn't, you know, they, that's like, like a time qualification. I couldn't do 26 miles that fast in a car. But I thought, you know what, I, if, if they're asking, they're inviting me in, they sort of flattered me a little bit and said, you raised a lot of money last year, we'd like you to do the New York City Marathon. I'm like, I'm in. Well, then you have to run. <laughs> so I, I started running, you know, two miles. That's it. <laughs> I'm, up, I'm up to 16 miles on it. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> And, there, and, and so every now and then on Facebook, I post, you know, I ran 16 miles today. And, so, and somebody posted back this week. They go, Pastor Brad, that's so inspiring. And I'm like, that's because you didn't see me. <laughs> it's not pretty. And it's not fast. But it's happening. And, I'm, and I was scratching my head. They're like, it's inspiring. I'm like, how, is, how in the world is this inspiring? Then I realized every single human being is created in the image of God. We carry an unmistakable resemblance to God. And whenever you act sacrificially, you pull out that resemblance. You pull out that image, and it's inspiring. It's when God breathes breath onto the image that he placed inside of us. And it brings it to life. That's that's what the word inspire means. It means to breathe. God breathes life into the image that he placed in you. And every person on the planet is created with the image of God in them. In the course of our journey here together in this month, while we're doing this series, I know you are, but who am I? I would like to give you a statement. I would like to give you a declaration or an affirmation statement that you can tell yourself. Anybody ever talk to themselves? Okay. Anybody ever answer yourself? Because oh, I hear that's when it gets weird. But anyway, I don't know. So I want to give you a little affirmation statement to tell yourself. I want you to tell yourself this. Every morning when you wake up, before your feet hit the floor, I want you to tell yourself this statement. At lunchtime, before you eat, I want you to tell yourself this statement. When you get home and you're having dinner around the table, tell yourselves, tell your family this statement. Before you go to bed at night, tell yourself this statement for the next seven days. And some of you, you're in one of our grow groups and you're maybe writing your own statement. Fantastic. As long as it's based on scripture truth, write it out. Take that one. But let me just give you one if you haven't uh, written one down yet. I wanted it to say this. I am a carrier of the image of God. I thought that would be a good one for everybody. But I never was happy with it. And I've been thinking about this series for six months. And I never was happy with that phrase. I am a carrier of the image of God. And this week I decided it's just not strong enough. I want to suggest that you say to yourself this statement. I am a carrier of the unmistakable image of God. I am a carrier of the unmistakable image of God because there are ways in which you behave sometimes when it is so godlike that it is unmistakably Him. When you give generously, when you sacrifice for others, when you play out a redemptive story, 
you are showing that you were created in the unmistakable image of God. And you, as a Christ follower, have the right to say who has the authority to tell you who you are. And God says, you are created in my unmistakable image. And I want to just encourage you to take that statement and say it to yourself every day for the next week. We're going to add another one next week. But say that one this week. I am a carrier of the unmistakable image of God. Now, can I address the elephant in the room for a moment? And then we'll quit. The elephant in the room comes from Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. (laughs) You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the enemy of our soul has been using that against us ever since. See, when I say to you, you are a carrier of the unmistakable image of God, you can look at your own life and go, it could be mistaken a lot. There are a lot of times when I don't look just like God. There are a lot of times when the people around me who are also supposedly created in the unmistakable image of God, they don't look a lot like God either. What's wrong? Chapter 3 is wrong. And Satan has been telling that to us ever since. And he throws up that shame. And he throws up that pain. And the problem is we are much more familiar with the pain of Genesis 3 than with the hope of Genesis 1. And I want to send you out with the hope of Genesis 1. Next weekend, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about what God has done to get over chapter 3 with us. But just for now, just going into this next week, just getting ready for that, just learn to say this. I am a carrier of the unmistakable image of God. That's who I am. Jesus, thank you for this. Thank you, Lord, that you have created us. You spoke life. You breathed life into our lives. Thank you for that. Lord, thank you that every time we see an act of generosity, we see you. Every time we see an act of sacrifice, we see you. Every time we see an act of redemption or hear a story of redemption, we see you. And Lord, we see you with the people that teach our children because they give up themselves to be able to bless children and that reminds us of you. And when we see middle school students learning to be worshipers and high school students learning to be worshipers of you, we know that comes from you because you breathed your image into them. So Lord, thank you for that. 
as we live our lives this week, would you remind us, would you speak into our lives and remind us that we are carriers of, carriers of your unmistakable image this week. We love you. We honor you, Lord Jesus. Amen.